Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. If you need a Bible, just wave at one of the ushers. And uh, when you have one in hand, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue in this message, or in this series of messages. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, several have asked, what are you going to do now that it's December, and we're, with the Sermon on the Mount and all, and, and uh, my friend Elizabeth was asking me last night, Dad, what are you preaching on today? And uh, it's amazing to me, because right now, some of the things that the Lord has us in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount are very applicable to this time of year that we're in. So we'll see each week. My answer to your question is, I have no idea what we're going to do in December. We're going to take it one week at a time and see how the Lord leads. But today, we're in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. A number of years ago, I was um, working in a ministry, um, and one of the things that we did in that ministry is we traveled and did seminars all over the country, literally all over the world. And I did that for a number of years, and traveling different locations and and just involved in this in the presentation of the seminar and teaching and in this seminar there were there was this premise that we had and this and teaching that when you and I have sin or struggle in our life that often it falls matter of fact maybe all the time but certainly most of the time it falls in one of three categories those three categories were greed bitterness and moral impurity that if you take and look at the struggles in your own life, the sin in your own life, and often in the lives of others, you will find many times that that sin lines up in one of these three categories. It's interesting as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, because starting in verse 21 of Matthew 5, there was this where Jesus began to talk about our righteousness exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And then he begins to hit certain issues. There are six things he hits there in that last part of, of Matthew chapter 5. Each of those, if you go back and look at them, will line up under greed, bitterness, or moral impurity. Then we get into chapter 6, and he gives us three things, activities, that he wants us to be involved in. Now, again, this is my personal opinion. I'm not sharing this with you as though this is the word of the Lord or, or biblically I can go show you. It's just my personal opinion. But I believe that the first, those three things that the Lord talked about when we started Matthew 6, where we would give where we would pray and where we'd fast, line up with these three areas of struggle for us, which is greed, giving, going with greed, bitterness, going with prayer. Because have you ever noticed how much the Holy Spirit will convince you of sin when you try to pray and you've got bitterness in your heart? Uh, do you, uh, let me say it a different way. Do you feel like the biggest heel that ever lived when you pray and you've got bitterness in your heart? I do. As a matter of fact, it was one of the great, and I've shared this with you before, but one of the greatest pieces of counsel that Lori and I got when we first got married was from an older couple, and he told me, he said, Troy, anytime that you and Lori disagree, you sit her down, knee to knee, face to face, and you begin to pray. Um, and I thought, sure, that, that's, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound too hard. Oh, it's really hard, all right? I was, I was newly married. I didn't realize how hard that could be. And if you've been married, you know. Or if you're just in a relationship with someone, a, a close relationship, 
It could be a friendship or a family relationship. But when you're upset with one another, to sit down and to pray is very, very difficult. Why? Because to be honest before the Lord does something about that bitterness that's in our heart, that unforgiveness. The Lord begins to deal with it. And then the last one, the fasting aspect, I believe, is directly connected with the, the moral, moral purity and having freedom there. Again, just my opinion. So we've seen all that. Now we get to verse 19, and Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure right here on earth. Well, me, being the kind of combative person that I am, I immediately ask, well, what is treasure on earth? You know, who defines what treasure on earth is? Jesus defined it for you. He's going to give you a definition of what treasure, this is what we're not supposed to be laying up on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He just told you what qualifies as treasure. If it can be eaten up, rot, rust, decay, it's a treasure on earth. That doesn't leave a whole lot out, does it? And he says, but in case you were wondering, in addition to that, if someone, before it rots, before it's eaten up or decays, or rusted to the ground, someone comes along and steals it, that also is treasure on earth. So if it can decay, diminish over time, be eaten by moths or rust or just whatever, or if someone can break in and steal it, then it's treasure on earth. I told the men yesterday when we were praying, I have felt like Stretch Armstrong this week. Do you guys remember the old Stretch Armstrong? Any of you guys remember that toy? As I recall, I had one when I was a kid. I have felt that way because the Lord has stretched me in, in ways. I don't see myself as a person who really loves material things. And yet the Lord's challenged me in this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Troy, what is it that you treasure or that you love that is a treasure to you that falls into one of these two categories? It was interesting. I was walking into our closet one day uh, this week, and I walked in, and I began to look around, and, and I, meet, I had this thought that came to me, and it's like, you don't wear most of this. Now, granted... I always make myself feel better because I have about a third, and Lori has two-thirds of our, of our closet, and so I compare myself to her and think, Lord, I don't have that much, all right? And, but that is not because the scripture says when you compare yourself among yourselves, you are not wise, all right? And so it doesn't matter how much of the closet Lori has. It matters, why, Troy, why are you keeping this stuff? Why is it here? What have you, how much of it do you wear? As one of the guys said, how much do you think you might wear in the future if you lost some weight? Um, you know what? We probably should just go ahead and get rid of that stuff. Um, but, but the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Because, and I immediately thought this, we're moth and rust. Have you ever noticed how something hangs in your closet for a long time and you don't wear it and it's just not the same? As a matter of fact, for me, I have this problem because I tend, tend to, to be very, very sensitive to dust. And so if dust gets on that clothing and I go put it on, then I will start sneezing 
and I will sneeze and sneeze and I'll wear myself out sneezing. And again, this thought where moth and... And then I begin to think, because here's my human brain, well, I'll just get those plastic covers from the cleaners and just cover them all up, and then you won't have dust on it. And the Lord said, Troy, where's your heart at in all this? Where's, where's treasure? Now, again, it's not high on my treasure list. But the Lord really began to speak. What, what do you treasure? What do you hold on to for whatever reason? He says... I don't want you to lay up treasure on earth. I want you rather to lay up treasure in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. It's clear in this verse that you and I have a choice. We can lay up treasure here or we can lay up treasure there. Apparently, that is a real, real, not only possibility, it is real truth that Jesus says you can do one or the other. You and I get to choose. We get to be involved in that process of laying up treasure here or laying up treasure there. Look at the next verse with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, I often think that that verse should be reversed. It should, it should go opposite. It should say where your heart is, your treasure will be. But that's not what he says. He says that where your treasure is, your heart will be. Your heart follows your treasure. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, that gets a little confusing, but remember what the eye is. The eye really is a conduit for light. That's how you and I see. Light, if, it, if we turn all the lights off, we can't see. Why? Because there's no light. Our eye doesn't necessarily see. Our eye simply reflects and translates light and what light is producing. All right, that's how you and I see light entering the eye, doing what it does inside the eye, going to our brain. We see, okay? So what Jesus is saying here, if you, if, if your vision, if you're looking at things of this earth, if that's where your treasure is, is that, is that where you find joy? Is that where you find meaning? Is that where you find significance? If, is that what stands out? Is that where you spend a lot of your time and energy? On the things of this earth, the things that moth and rust destroy or the things that thieves can break in and steal. If that's the case, then there's a lot of dark, darkness because you're not receiving the light. I honestly believe that when Jesus talks about the eye here, he's talking about the mind. Because I think it lines up with James where he says, don't be double-minded. Don't have, don't have blurred eyesight. Don't have double vision. If you have double vision, you're not, you can't really do anything with double vision. You, think, you would think double vision would be good. I get to see two of it, especially if I like it. I get to see two of it, but it's not a good thing. How are you thinking in your mind? What is it that you really treasure? He goes on, if then the light that's in us is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. The old King James says mammon. Here the ESV translates it to money. Mammon literally is more than money. Mammon was an old, it was a Syrian god. Mammon is a spirit that's often attached to material things. It's money, but it can be more than just money. It's literally the spirit of this world, of this age, a spirit of the enemy attached to material things. This one, 
is one I began to wrestle with. I said, Lord, how do I, I want to lay up treasure in heaven. I really do. So what does that look like? What does that mean? There are only a couple places in the New Testament where I can find Jesus talking about treasure in heaven. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a couple of them. One is in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? It's in, I'm, that's in Luke 18. It's also found in Matthew 19, and it's also found in Mark 10. It's the same story in all three of those Gospels. But he comes, and in verse 22 of, Matthew, of Luke 18, he says, when Jesus heard this, what did he hear? Well, Jesus had told him, he said, keep the commandments. Love, you know, love the Lord your God. Love, you know, honor your father and mother. You know, he listed these things that the Ten Commandments talked about. And the young man said, I've done all that since I was a young person. Since a youth, I did all that. I've kept all of that. Which probably wasn't true, but he thought it was. So Jesus, recognizing the condition of his heart, recognizing really the arrogance there, said, there's one thing that you lack. He said, when he heard this, he said, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Uh, when Jesus talks about treasure in heaven, most of the time you see it is in connection with the rich young ruler. And he says, I want you to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Immediately I read that, and I think like some of you, wait a second, does Jesus really mean we're supposed to sell all that we have and give it away to be able to follow him? Is that what he's saying? And it certainly seems like that's what he's saying, but remember the context of this. This is the rich young ruler this passage is very specifically about salvation. Now, hear me closely so you don't get confused. Not that you earn salvation by selling all that you have and giving it to the poor. You cannot do that. All of the New Testament disagrees with that. You cannot make that interpretation, okay? But what Jesus is saying is because this rich young ruler treasured his possessions, he treasured earthly things, he loved the stuff of this life more than anything else. He was unwilling to, to let that go, to release it, in order to be able to say, Jesus, I treasure you above all else. I receive you. I will follow you. You mean more to me than any of this stuff. And that heart attitude is the reason Jesus is talking about salvation. Not that he was going to earn salvation by selling his stuff, but his heart had How do you and I get saved? How did you get saved when you got saved? You, you believed that Jesus was the only hope you had, right? You believed that. You believed Him and you received Him. Above, excluding everyone and everything else, He was your only hope. Well, if, if I'm not willing to do that, I can't be saved. And I would say that to you this morning. It doesn't matter how often you go to church or how many verses you read or memorize or how much money you give to charity or to the church. It doesn't matter. You can be baptized every week from now till kingdom come. It doesn't matter. Jesus says there's only one way. Only one. He said it's a narrow way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father unless they go through me. Nobody. You say, Troy, that's rigid. That's harsh. That's too narrow. Jesus already told us it was going to be narrow. He already said it. He, warned, he forewarned us. Hey, I'm about to tell you something. It's going to be narrow. It's going to be hard. I'm the only way. That's how we all come. So when we talk about the rich young ruler, 
We, he specifically, if you wonder, if you read through the whole story, you'll see him mention eternal life and how to be saved. He keeps mentioning this over and over again. So he's talking about that. But that doesn't let me off the hook. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Back up just a few chapters. Luke chapter 12. Because Jesus is going to use this again, but it has nothing to do with the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 12, he, right before this, he's talking about don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on. As a matter of fact, we're going to get to that section in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. That's coming. Luke's already covered it just right before this. He said, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Don't worry about these things. Your father knows that you have need of all these things. But then he gets to verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock. He's talking to us. And I love this little flock. That means I'm his. I'm part of his flock. See, I believe this is directly speaking to believers. This isn't talking to lost people. This isn't, talking, this isn't like the situation with the rich young ruler. This is a different scenario Jesus is talking about here. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, in this one sentence, he identifies himself, first of all, as shepherd. A shepherd knows exactly what the sheep need. He knows everything they need. He identifies himself as a father. A father's willing to do anything in his power to make sure that his, his children get what they need. And he give you the kingdom. He identifies himself as king. A king has the power and authority to do what needs to be done. All three of these pictures in this one sentence. Jesus says, this is who I am. This is what I do. He says, fear not. Because I am your shepherd. I'm your father. I'm your king. I can do all of these things. Then he gets, says, sell your possessions and give to the needy or the poor. Provide for yourselves, he goes on, provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I've got a dilemma. See, I could explain away the rich young ruler. Well, he needed to get saved and not love his money. But now I've got a passage here where Jesus says, those who know me, you may have a similar issue. Yeah, you may be saved and know me, but you may still be in love with the things of this world. Now, you're asking me, is this the teaching of Jesus then? Do I sell all that I have and give it away in order that I have treasure in heaven? I don't know. You want me to give you a clear-cut, easy answer, don't you? I don't know. I wouldn't tell you not to, nor would I tell you to. I would tell you to ask the Lord and listen to what he says. You say, but that can't be what he means. I don't know what he means. I really don't. I've prayed. I've asked him. I can tell you this, that a number of years ago in my early 20s, I was seeking the Lord, crying out to him, and he spoke to me because he knew my, and I was a believer. But he knew my heart. I was a greedy believer. All right? Any of you greedy believers? You don't have to raise your hand. All right? <laughs> you know who you are. All right? I was a greedy believer. Money meant a lot to me and what it could buy and what it provided. My goal from a young, very young person um, was to be rich. As a matter of fact, I set my first goal. I wanted, as, and I was probably 10 years old. I set a goal. I'm going to be a millionaire by the time that I'm somewhere between 25 and 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. Money meant a lot to me. 
At the age of 22, I had worked and saved all those years because I was working toward being a millionaire. I wasn't close, but I was working toward it. All right, just in case you get the wrong idea here. And then one of my grandmothers passed away and left me a small inheritance. It wasn't large, but it was, it was large to me. Um, and I added that to all that I had saved through those years. And then the Lord spoke to me one day when I was seeking him, and he said, Troy, you know that, that bank account that you've been saving? I said, yeah, Lord, I've been working toward that goal. It'd be nice if you'd help it a little bit, get closer to that million. Um, and he's like, I want you to give it all away. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. It wasn't Satan. It was the Holy Spirit. I wrestled with that for a little while. I'm crying. I said, Lord, this is not wise. I need to plan for the future. And the Holy Spirit asked me, who is your future? Who holds your future? Do you do that or I do that? But Lord, you said that we're to be good stewards. Is it bad stewardship to do what the master asks? Is that bad stewardship to, to obey the master? Everything I said, every excuse I gave, he had an answer for. Every one of them. And it was a struggle in my heart and life. But I obeyed him. I gave it all away. You know what happened to me in that moment? There was a freedom that came from this love of money. It was not, something was broken in all of it. Now, that's the reason I go back to you. Let's go back to you. This is me. Let me go back to you. Are you supposed to give away all your possessions? I don't know. God told me to at that point in time in my life. He hasn't since. And I have possessions. I own certain things. I, I have a retirement account. I have, some save, I, I have some of those things. What we consider normal things. He hasn't. And I'd like to tell you, I believe that if he came to me today and said, Troy, give it all away, I would, I would obey him. I would listen. I don't know till the moment it actually comes, but I, I'd like to believe I would. When he speaks to me now about giving away parts of it, I obey him. I listen to him. But here's the deal. It's not really about whether I give it away or how much of it I give away. It's how much of it I'm still holding on to with my heart that possesses me. It's not really what you and I possess. It's what's possessing us. It's what's holding on to us. What do you love? What do you treasure? What does it mean to you? And maybe you love it for different reasons. Maybe it gives you a security. Maybe it makes you feel like I won't have to be dependent upon someone else. Maybe it makes you feel like it doesn't matter what happens here or there, I'll be okay. All of these things are destructive. They destroy the heart. They cause us to trust, to expect from something what only God can give. So my answer to you when you ask me, is God saying, take all that you have and give it away. Sell everything and just give it all away. I don't know whether God would call you that, to that or not, but I do know he's calling you to be willing to. That I do know. He's asking you and me as believers to say, there is nothing on this earth that I prize and treasure so much that I'm not willing to give it all away if the master says so. You say, Troy, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Welcome to following Jesus. <laughs> is it supposed to make sense? 
Doing what the world does makes sense. I understand that. That makes sense. It's really quiet in here this morning. And I know that you're feeling the Stretch Armstrong thing too, aren't you? It's going on. I don't have easy answers for you other than this one. Ask Jesus. Ask Him. That's my easy answer for you. In everything, ask Him. And I'll tell you, when it comes to this idea of material things, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is it's always a fresh new test. It was this morning. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to me recently about, about giving a gift in a certain way. And as I went to write it this morning, there was, I don't know if I really should do it. And then I start talking myself out. Of it. This really isn't, maybe I didn't hear the Lord right, or maybe I should do this, or maybe, and it's like, Lord, no, I heard you. And I'm going to write it. I'm going to do it. It's always a test for me. How many, else, how many of the rest of you have that experience as well? Is it, is it still a test for you? Even though God's been faithful, is it still a, Okay, so I'm not the only one. It's still a test. Let's talk just a minute. And I'm going to wrap this up. But let's talk just a minute about the poor. Because Jesus said, I want you to sell all you have and give to the poor. Who are the poor? I mean, somebody's got to define poor for us because everybody's got a different definition of poor. I mean, you might consider yourself poor, but compared to 90% of the rest of the world, you're not poor at all. So who's going to define poor for us? It's very interesting. In, in the Greek New Testament, and Jesus, this is, the New Testament was written originally in Greek, there are two primary words that are used for poor. We talked about this at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount because we see it when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But these two words used for poor, one is very common, and it means working poor. We would call them day laborers. In other words, you don't have a big bank account, you don't have any extra, but you work every day, you get income, and you have enough food, you have shelter, you have, clo- you have the basics of what you need. You don't have any extras, you're not, you're not living in luxury, but you've got enough to get by. That's the word that's commonly used in the, in the Greek New Testament. But that is not the word that Jesus uses here. The word he uses here is the second Greek word, which basically means, unless someone intervenes on your behalf, you will die. You don't have food. You don't have shelter or clothing. You don't have health. Unless someone intervenes on your behalf, you won't make it. That's the word poor. Now, that's hard sometimes to determine. That's easier to find, I think, in places outside the United States because, generally speaking, we have certain safety nets here that try to keep people from getting to such a place of destitution that they are on the verge of dying unless someone intervenes. There are, I'm sure there are some of those cases here, but they are, they're much fewer than you would find in third-world countries. You go to a third-world country, you'll see it everywhere. But it does happen here. Is there a willingness on our part to say, God, I don't have the wisdom to figure all this out, so I'm just going to have to listen to you when you say, help someone or get involved? I, I asked a moment ago if, if Ted would allow, us, allow me to share his story with you. And he said I could. But Ted came a number of months. He was just coming to church. And 
he, he was having some problems with his teeth. And a lot of pain. So much so he couldn't eat. And I mean, just a lot of pain. He told me, I'll never, never forget the first time I met him. We've been praying and he came up and I prayed for him. And every time I saw him, he said, Troy, the only time I have relief from pain is when I'm gathered here worshiping with you all. It's the only time I don't have pain. All the rest of the time I'm in pain. And so he, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for, he just asked for prayer. <laughs> he said, would you pray for me? And we were, we were praying. And um, then, Tom, and then God got Tom involved and, and with Ted and, and Tom approaches me and says, Troy, you know, there's a, this could be, there's something that could be done here, but there's not funds to do it. Should we be involved in this? And my first thought, honestly, my first thought was, that's a lot of money. I'm, I'm sorry, that was, I, I love Ted and I want to be helpful, but I, that's the human part. I said, that's a lot of money. And yet the Holy Spirit just seemed to be convincing, you know, convicting. What, what means more to you? Why, and why are you holding on to the money anyway? Is it because you're afraid there won't be enough in the future? If I provided everything up to this point, what makes you think I can't provide everything you need in the future? But folks, this, this is simple but not easy. We make it complicated. It is very simple. It's just not easy. And so the Lord moved and, and through, through the ministry here and you all in this ministry, um, Ted was able to have some dental procedures done um, to be able to relieve pain. But did more than that, we found out as he went in and the, and the dentist was doing the things and he revealed the fact that he said, you realize that had you not had this done now, maybe another week or two, this would have traveled to your brain. It would have killed you. Jesus says, you may not even know when it is that someone is on the verge that death is imminent unless someone intervenes, comes along. The reality is, I believe that God wants to do that in all of our lives. All of our lives. He wants to give us opportunity to see people and to say, you know what? Would you be willing? Would you be willing to sacrifice earthly treasure for heavenly treasure? Would you be willing to do that? Would you make the exchange? There is a verse in Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down. I believe it's Hebrews 7.12. It could be 7.8. It's in 7. It's in chapter 7 somewhere. It's talking about Melchizedek. And it says that, that Jesus was in the order of Melchizedek. He said priesthood was in the order of Melchizedek. It predates the law. It predates the Levitical priesthood. And he says that Abraham offered tithes to Melchizedek. Someone asked me this morning, do I believe in tithing? I do. This is one of the reasons because of Hebrews chapter 7. By the way, people who tell you tithing is only, only in the Old Testament hadn't read their Bible because it's not. It's in the New Testament as well. But it says that Abraham offered tithes to Melchizedek. And then it says something really interesting because he wants us to see this picture, the spiritual picture. He said, here we offer material goods. We give them here on earth. But there... He receives them. 
What in the world is that verse talking about? We give them to mortal men, it says. We give them to mortal men. We give material things to mortal people here. But there, he receives them. Where do you think the there is? Where's the there? If here is here, where is there? Heaven. Who's the he receiving them? God. Jesus. Do you understand? This is a picture of what he's talking about here. I'm going to exchange earthly for heavenly. And not only am I just giving to meet a need that I see here, that the Lord has brought into my path and my attention here, but he's going to take, I'm giving it here, but there he's receiving it. There he receives. There's one other passage. You might jot this one down just to look at. We could go for a lot longer and I don't have time. Luke chapter, I believe it's chapter 12, verse 21. Uh, um, let me double check here real quick. I believe it's Luke 12, 21. Would you hold that for a second? There we go, yes. Luke 12, 21. Here, Jesus tells a parable. He says there's a rich guy, and he's got plenty of everything, and then he has a, a bumper crop. He has a great increase. And he says, you know what? I've got more than I can actually house and I can contain in what I currently own, so I'm going to tear down what I own and build bigger so that I can put all the stuff that I've got now, because I've got so much. So I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and I'm going to put all this stuff in, and then I'm going to say to myself, you've worked hard, and you've done really well for yourself, so just take it easy. Kick back. Enjoy. Does that sound like an American message? It's like Jesus was talking to us, folks. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So I begin to ask, Lord, how can I be rich toward God? Is it in the amount of stuff that I give to God or I give away? No, it can't be that because God already said, he said, I own the cattle on the thousand hills. If I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. He doesn't need my money or your money. He doesn't need our stuff. God's not running a big cosmic garage sale up there, okay? He doesn't need our stuff. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Here's what I believe the Holy Spirit told me. Because I've been asking for myself. Not really for you. It's my, I've been asking for me. And I'll share it with you. He said, Troy, what if you read that just a little differently? What if, instead of reading it rich toward God, if you just turn around, God is your riches. God is your treasure. He's your treasure. He's your riches. He's what's most valuable. Don't lay up treasures on earth. 
Lay him up in heaven. In other words, the one who is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, who sent his spirit to indwell me and operate here on planet earth, he is my treasure. We call him Jesus. He is my treasure. He is my riches. He's what matters. He's what's most valuable to me above anything else. Now, I don't have time in this message to go into biblical financial principles. There are biblical financial principles. There are principles of saving. There are principles of not being in debt. There are, there are all kinds of biblical principles I don't have time to go into, all right? And that, there, there, is, there is more to this message than what, I'm going, what we've talked about today. But today, we've got to deal with this much. Where is my heart when it comes to stuff of this world? Where is my heart? We've got to deal with that, folks. That doesn't negate savings or, or being wise in our expenditures and, and understanding debt and understanding all those things. Those, there are biblical teachings about all that as well. There are biblical teachings about tithing, which we were not talking about this morning, but there, there are teachings and all this. But the teaching this morning that Jesus said is the place you've got to start is what hold does this stuff have on your heart? How much do you treasure it? And the only way you and I ever really know is when Jesus calls us to let it go. That's when I find out how much I treasure it. I want you to bow your heads with me. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? See, I don't know what Jesus will tell you. I'll be honest with you. There are any number of you. I have watched how Jesus has spoken to you and what, how you've responded to that in, in giving and, and, and just pouring out. And I'm challenged by that. I'm, I'm motivated by that. I, I'm encouraged by it. I think, man, they're further along than I am. But that's not really the question today, is it? It's not how far along we are or how I measure up. It's not like I get Paul up here and it's like, okay, which one of us measures up better? Me or Paul? That's not the question this morning. The question is, Jesus is here with me. How do I measure up? So what's he saying? And here's my challenge to you. as your pastor. as your friend is one who loves you. Do what he says. Whatever it is, do what he says. You say, Troy, what if I do what he says and instead of having more, I have less? Well, let's just look at that. If you have less of this stuff of this world but you experience more of him do you actually have less or do you have much much more this is what jesus is doing he's searching the heart say do you really believe that i'm enough that i'm more than enough that i can meet every desire i can meet every need I can change desires. So the things you desire now, you don't desire them anymore. I can give you new desires, fresh ones.
I can cause you to see everything that I bring into your stewardship on this earth as simply a tool to be used for the kingdom. And it can have eternal reward. He can take and turn money into souls. He can, people can be saved because the Lord's able to take something that's temporal and bring fruit from it that's eternal. He can cause us to be able to receive. It's an amazing thought to think one day we'll be with him. And he says that there are rewards and crowns, and I don't understand all of that. But he says it's directly connected to, did you believe me here on this earth? That there, in eternity, we're gonna, it's going to be unveiled for us. We're going to get to see. See, I don't always get to see now. I'm going to get to see you then. My heart's going to rejoice. I'm going to be overwhelmed. So are you at what Jesus did because we trusted him. You say, some of you are sitting there because you're skeptical like me. And you think, Pastor, is the church in trouble? Do we need money? No, we're not in trouble. There's no pressing need that I know of. I mean, there's always stuff, but this isn't about any of that, folks. This is about Jesus doing a work in our heart. Would you let him? Lord Jesus, I pray for us today. And I say us because I'm included right along with this. Lord, give give us a longing to be rich toward you. I want to be rich toward you, God. Cause us to see people differently and rather than just walk by them, to ask you, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? Lord, not to feel like that we're supposed to try to help hundreds of thousands or millions or billions. Lord, we can't do that. Just the one that you put in front of us. Just that one. Just the next one. Lord, how can we be involved there? Lord, for those today, they're wrestling with this, much like I did years ago. Because in their heart, they really do love the stuff of this world. I pray for them. I pray for your grace poured out. I pray for your spirit to move. I pray for belief. I pray that you would speak your word and faith would rise up and they would believe. I pray that you give them evidence as, as they obey you and trust you that you would demonstrate to them that they really made no sacrifice at all. What they thought was going to be the most awful thing becomes the most glorious thing they've ever known. I pray that for them today, whoever they are. 
Lord, I pray you'd keep doing that in each of us, those of us who've trusted you in the past. But Lord, today's a new day and tomorrow's going to be a new day. And you're going to bring new things across our path, new people, new situations, new places where you speak and say, I want you to let go of treasure here in exchange for treasure there. Lord, give us fresh courage. Give us a fresh word. Give us eyes to see, hearts that believe, ears that will hear. God, do this work. Lord, deal with my judgmental spirit and anyone else who has one. When we look at someone in need and think, well, they should have made better choices. God, deal with our judgmental critical spirit. Cause us to love like you love. Love doesn't necessarily mean I always give exactly what's being asked for, but love means I always care. I'm always willing to give of myself. God, cause us to love that way. Help us, Lord. Do miracles in this area. And that we can testify to one another of your miracles at work in us and through us and around us. Thank you for the miracles you've already done. We just believe you want to do more. I believe that. Lord, nothing of this world system matches up with your kingdom and how it works. Nothing. Help us remember that. That when we're learning of your kingdom, it will not look anything like this world. That's normal. That's not, it's supposed to be that way. Help us believe that. Help us receive it and believe it. That the two are not the same. Lord, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that the promise in Luke 12 is that it is your desire as our shepherd, as our father, and as our king to give us the kingdom. That's your desire. That's what you said you're doing. You give us the kingdom. So, Lord, we receive it. I receive it. Before I end this morning, I want to say to you that we have prayer partners here at the front. As a matter of fact, I will ask our prayer partners if you want to just go ahead and move up to the front because we're going to dismiss in just a moment. If we can pray with you about anything, if the Lord's speaking to you about anything in your life, it's our desire to be able to do that. And so please, don't rush out. Let us pray with you. We want to be able to do that. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if none of this makes any sense to you at all, why don't you tell us that? Let's pray with you about that as well. Whatever God's doing in your heart and life, we want to pray with you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the way you move and the way you work and what you're going to do in and through each of us just because we believe you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.